0: This morning, our reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17 through 34. Today we come to the Lord's Supper. And as our dear brother said, that it's not a common meal. And so we come with the Word of God to prepare us to commune with Christ That's what we're doing as we partake of the supper. We do not see our Savior with our physical eyes, but the eyes of our heart. And so the Lord's design is to use his word by his spirit that we would have a real, though invisible, but still a true communion with our Savior. So thus the word of God as we come to the sacrament. Let's pray and ask for the blessing of God on the reading and the preaching of his word. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we are so grateful that you've sent your Son, and to think as this portion of the psalm that we've just lifted as worship to you, that our Savior endured the mistreatment and the cruelty of men, and the harsh penalty of the Roman decree of crucifixion. But Lord, all of this pales in comparison to his enduring the very wrath of God, What is the bringing of vinegar to a thirsty tongue, but even those flames of hell fire spiritually that he endured in his soul at the cross? We remember the rich man who desired for his tongue just to have one drop of water to cool it from the wrath of God. And yet to think that our Savior has endured the fullness of our punishment at the cross and was under the power of death for three days that we would have a full and complete salvation on account of his resurrection and so father we ask that our hearts would be inclined to worship in his name and to commune with him for your glory and so grant your word to be of great help to us as we prepare ourselves to meet with christ throughout our worship but especially at the table. Give grace upon grace to us, and we ask all of this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Well, 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul, as in the earlier chapter, part of the chapter, been dealing with matters of headship and responsibilities between men and women, the consideration of a man's place and a woman's place, and the way that the Corinthian church was erring on this. And we come to verse 17, where he now comes to instruct about the Lord's Supper. But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you, because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, in order that those who are approved may have become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this I will not praise you. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord in order that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that you may not come together for judgment. And the remaining matters I shall arrange when I come. And that's the reading of God's word to us today. May he give his blessing as we consider it together. It's always best to know what you're doing as well as how to do it right and how to do it well. Take any school topic Your grade is affected by whether you understand the subject and can apply it accordingly, whether you understand the question and can then give the answer. Or take, for example, your recent purchase that you must now assemble at home. You do well, as I've learned, to follow the instructions, that it function, stand, or hold properly. There is a certain way to do it, and it's not the knee-jerk reaction of the common homeowner who tends to think that he can do it his own way and has five or six screws and washers left over, then he finds out that crash, there was a right way to do it. It's true for all sorts of things. Not just school topics or recent purchases, but even things like house projects, things like hobbies, cooking and baking, driving a car or machinery, marriage, and certainly the Christian life and ministry. It's always best to know what you're doing and how to do it, that you do it right and well. Today we see how the Lord has applied this principle in relation to the observance of the Lord's own supper at his table. The situation here at Corinth, and you can gather from other parts of the letter, was that the church was in disarray. They were not understanding the faith at points of doctrine. They were not understanding the connection of that doctrine to the way they live together as the church what they did, how they framed their lives, how they came into the presence of God and worshiped him. And so there were things that were out of order. As you can see at verse 18, there were divisions among the congregation. Harkening back to chapter 1, there were some that said, I'm of Paul, others, I'm of Apollos, others thinking that they got the answer utterly right when they said that I am of Christ. And it seemed to be to the exclusion of Paul or Apollos, those whom the Lord himself raised up to be their teachers. And we can see, of course, in the verses that we read here, that the divisions among the people of God were further, in that they didn't even wait for each other when it was time to have the Lord's Supper. Some abused their whatever they brought for the meal, and they had their own meal, a full meal in disregard of the poor, of the latecomers, maybe those who were for whatever reason delayed, and they indulged themselves on the Lord's table to even such an extent that some were drunk by it. And so they turned it into a whole purpose that was different from the Lord's purpose. They viewed it not even as a common meal, but a self-absorbed time of a carnal free-for-all, that miss the whole spiritual purpose. And so Paul corrects these things. And in doing this, he gives the rudiments of the Lord's Supper, but builds on that as to how then, as a means of grace as the Lord's Supper is, how we may grow and how it may, in acknowledging its purpose, be useful to us to grow in grace and the knowledge of Christ. In other words, Corinthians Do you know what you're doing and how to do this well, how to do it right that it may be fruitful? And so this morning as we come to the Lord's table, I want us to look at two features of this that are given here in the passage as we observe communion with Christ at his supper. The first one is simply the command or the what, and that is do this. That's the command. The second point is about the manner or the how, or we could even say the why of this command, and that is in remembrance of me. So there's the command and the manner in which we go about keeping the commandment the what and even the how and the why of it. So, looking first at this first point of the command, you see that clearly. There is a command here with the Lord's Supper. He says very clearly at verse 24, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Again, verse 25 in reference to the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Nothing very hard or complex here. Here is the commandment, and as we know from the Word of God teaching us what's commonly called the regulative principle of worship, here is our command for how we go about worship touching the sacrament. The regulative principle is very simply that whatever God commands for worship is what is to be done, and if God has not commanded it, then it is forbidden. It is not permitted in worship. It's not merely stated that if God has not forbidden it, that we may do it. No, it's the other side of it, that unless God has commanded it, then we reject it. We don't do it. And so here then is the justification for the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Jesus himself in Luke's gospel told us to do this in remembrance of me. The Apostle Paul is here taking that word of the Lord, this commandment, and he's reiterating and delivering this to the church. So there is here a command according to the regulative principle for worship. The law commanded, do this and live. Touching the law. The gospel calls us to believe this and live, to literally believe Christ. And you will live. So there's a distinction between the idea of do this in relation to the law and do this in relation to the gospel. Because a believer lives then in Christ by believing Christ, having his legal obedience before God and his merciful forgiveness from God, he then keeps this command touching the Lord's Supper to do this in remembrance of him. It's not do this to become acceptable to God. It is to do this because you've been made acceptable to God in Jesus Christ. But it opens up several implications as the commandment. One of these is Paul's words, to do this. It implies another question. Do what? Do what? The answer is to do this, as Paul shows us at verse 24 and 25. The sacramental acts. Do the sacramental acts. Take bread off the plate, put it into your hand, and then put it into your mouth. That's not very difficult. The second is like it. Take the cup Put it into your hand, and then put it into your mouth, the contents of the cup. Very simple acts, very simple commands, just like believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. The Bible tells us that God's commands are not burdensome. God condescends. He comes down to and humbles himself to the sinner. He's not chosen the noble. He's not chosen the sophisticated necessarily. He's chosen the plain common person as we all are. And if we are to be helped by our Savior, his commands are very simple. Take, eat. This is my body, which is for you. The cup, drink of it, all of you, in remembrance of me. And so these commands are not very difficult. We are to do this outwardly. But we don't merely do this outwardly. We do this inwardly. In other words, we are not only, as if it's a simple external meal, just downing a little bit of the wine or chewing on a little bit of the bread and that's it. You look at the contents here and that's pretty much what there is. But there's more happening than this. There are inward elements to the taking of the outward elements. The Lord would have us, as we do this, to consider repentance. To consider repentance. We are coming to the Lord at his table, which is a means of grace and is a holy ordinance. When we come to the Lord's table, we are unworthy. We are testifying to the fact that we've had a Savior die for us. We are sinners. We are still sinners. Tomorrow we will be the same, even though we are saints by grace. We come confessing sins, both of our thoughts, our words, our deeds, We want to be like the Savior who has bought us with his blood. And so there is this matter of repentance that we come and we recognize we are not worthy to be here and that if God removed his mercy from all of this and dealt with us on the strict principle of justice, we would not be allowed. And if we came, God must immediately judge us. And so we have to consider this notion of repentance, of turning from our sins, loathing sin that remains with us, being touched with a feeling sense of what our Savior endured for us at the cross, that as unworthy sinners, by grace alone are we acceptable to him at his table. And so as you come to the Lord's table outwardly eating and drinking, there should be an inward point of repenting from sin, turning from sin, bemoaning, besetting sins, praying that God would give you strength to fight against sin, to mortify your members that are upon the earth. So there's repentance. And at the same time, there's the other side of that, which is faith. As repentance deals with turning from sin, faith is about turning to Christ. And so, as much as you may be bothered or entangled or sensing need of mercy from God for your sins, you take, as the Puritans would say, 10 looks at sin and then 20 more at Christ. You believe on Him, and you see that despite all the sin that weighs you down and would otherwise be your judgment, you see a Savior here with outstretched arms, figuratively, to receive you as you come. And so you don't reduce it to just outward means of taking and drinking, eating and drinking. But there's faith and repentance on the very person of Jesus Christ in light of the real need of sin. And repenting of sin and believing on Christ, there's love in your heart. Do you not have that as you come to the Lord's table today? To think that God loved us. We were utterly unlovable to God in our sins. And yet, because of his decree, because of his election, because of his love from eternity that he was pleased to set on us, we not only are brought to understand our spiritual need and to look to Christ, but to have his everlasting mercy. Never will we be unforgiven. Never will God hold our sins against us. Anyone who hears and believes that message comes to God today with love. Love that you've been loved. People hate us. Neighbors are indifferent to us. The closest relatives we have will fail us. Christ has done, never will do any of these things. We have the Lord's everlasting love. Having this, we come to the table and to Christ with love. Love in our hearts. We come with hope. He says even here at verse 26 that as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There's hope. And this is given as a meal as we have each day at our homes. The Lord's given this for us to look forward to, the marriage supper of the Lamb. We eat and drink in hope. And of course, we come as this meal is about, Thanksgiving, the Eucharist. This is a meal of thanksgiving. It's a thank offering to the Lord that though the sacrifice was made, the blood was shed for us, we now come with our free will thank offering of gratitude to God. And so we come to the Lord's table with inward as well as outward means. What would we think of this idea of a half-baked cake? Would we be accepting and delighting in the fact that our cake was half-baked? Or how about the half-done house repair that either we do or a contractor does? What would we think of driving a car with two of the tires flat? This notion of the half-done is not acceptable to us. And so why would we come then, why would we think we can come to the Lord's table merely outward in the celebration of the sacrament? No, we must come with inward things as well as outward. We do this inwardly and outwardly. Another implication is that when we do this in remembrance of Christ, we only follow, we only do what he first did. The Lord instituted this sacrament. The Lord appointed it. The Lord initiated it. The Lord has done everything already that is signified here with the elements. This is a simple meal to humble us, That when we come to the Lord's table, we're not really bringing anything to it. We're not creating this. We're not bringing our own wisdom about how well prepared this meal is on our account. No, the Lord has initiated this. The Lord's instituted it. The Lord has appointed it. We merely come and receive. We receive. It's been prepared for us. There is... Communion with Christ. He is the active, and we are the more passive. This is communion, where he gives and we receive. There is his part, and there is our response. His this comes before our do. Do this. He has already done what this signifies in his death at the cross. And so when we come, we come celebrating what has been done for us. It's like a father maybe with uh, showing how to cut the lawn or fixing something. It's like a mother maybe baking or sewing and showing how to do this. An example is given so that now you do that's what the Lord has done. He's established everything for our salvation. He has accomplished all of it. And he now applying it says, receive, give thanks. He's not saying you achieve, you accomplish. He's saying you receive and do this in remembrance of me. We're only here doing what Christ has already provided for us in full. Another implication is that Who does this but members of the church of Jesus Christ? Who does this but those who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? They are the ones having truly come to Jesus Christ as sinners needing to be removed from the judgment of God and forgiven of their sins. These are the ones who, as Jesus said in John chapter 6, take the bread of life. They believe on him for salvation. This is not a meal for unbelievers. This is not a meal for those who are not members, professing members of the church of Jesus Christ. This is for those who have, as the Puritans would say, closed with Christ. There are those that by profession have showed that with entrance into the church of Christ by baptism. And so these are for members, these are for believers. You remember that in John 6, the Pharisees and the Jews would have nothing to do with this. They said this man would give us his flesh to eat. They took offense at the cross. Who does not take offense at the cross but sinners who need to be saved. And so those that partake of the sacrament are believers. And this is why we don't even have our young children partake of the sacrament. We don't see the evidence, perhaps, of faith in their lives. And even should they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in their profession, there's an insurance in what Paul is saying that they fulfill the requirements of this to examine themselves. Now, they may believe on Jesus Christ. But Paul says that this is a meal for those that can examine themselves. Those that can see their sin, take responsibility for their sin. These are the, those who have discernment in spiritual things. Those who, if they were put to men and say, which one would be the better pastor? They would be able to say, well, this man understands the Bible. This man preaches the word of God. This man loves Jesus Christ. This is a man that I would want to lead me as my pastor or my elder. There's discernment. They need to discern the things about Jesus Christ. They need to be able to sift and weigh what they hear from the pulpit so that since that prepares them for this, they'll be able to commune with Christ. So, Members and those children that have professed faith and come to years of understanding. Those who come are those that come worthily. They don't come to this meal with indifference. They don't come with, oh, it's just another Christian act. It's the right thing to do. Everyone else is doing it. No, they come worthily. They don't come flippantly without preparation. Without care for their own soul, they come expectantly. They judge the body rightly. They don't merely say the bread symbolizes his body and the cup symbolizes his blood. No, they don't merely get the sacramental body right. They get the body of Christ right, that he is not in with or under the elements. He doesn't get turned into the elements, but indeed his body is in heaven. And that same body rules from heaven, and he in that same body will return one day. And they understand even the body of Christ in terms of the visible church, such that they care for each other. They wait for each other, as Paul here says. They're not insensitive, and, well, who cares? They're not here yet. I'm going to go ahead and pig out on the elements of the Lord's Supper. No, they have regard for the body of Christ, the visible church. And so this sacrament is for these people as we do this in remembrance of him. Do not refrain from this sacrament if you are a believer. Jesus calls you to do this. And there are many people that perhaps are genuine Christians. And they won't come to the table, they'll not partake because of a particular sin that is a real sin that they're fighting against and that they want to be forgiven. But they think that they need to get it all right and perfect and in order so that when they come, they are free from sin. Well, I have news for you, you may never then come to the table. In fact, on that standard, you probably will never come to the table because this meal is for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's for those who need grace in terms of remaining sin. It's for those who want the assurance that the Lord's love and forgiveness is real, even there where you've got this sin that you want to be forgiven. And you want to have victory over more and more in your life. I'd say to you, remember that the Lord says, do this in remembrance of me. He does not say refrain from this if that's you. If you're indifferent, well, then maybe you ought to refrain. But if you have a heart of sincerity, genuine repentance and faith, then come repenting that sin that's bothering you, and in a holy reason upsetting you, and come and confess it to God, be forgiven and be assured, the Lord's promise is true in the gospel. There are too many people that refrain as Christians. I don't see many of them here at all, thankfully. But if you ever are of this sort, you should remember the Lord's words to do this in remembrance of me. To do this without remembrance of me is sort of like a, a picture frame on a table or on a shelf with no one's picture in it. If you do this without remembering Christ, there's an emptiness to it. To do this without remembrance of me, we could say, is like a tombstone in a cemetery with nobody's name on it. If you do this without remembering Christ, that's emptiness. It's folly. But if you do this in remembrance of Christ, you remember him, and the supper is greatly meaningful for you, even if you're tempted to refrain unnecessarily. Another one is simply that the, for the original disciples. Imagine how this would have gone for them with the Lord in heaven, and they do this... In remembrance of him. What memories the disciples would have had in the early church, those that saw and knew the Lord. What memories, what pictures in their minds, maybe the inflection, those in the upper room when they heard him say, Do this in remembrance of me. What events, what actions that he did, what gestures, the whole presence that he had. When they did this, they would remember him. It would have some reality to it. It wouldn't be just an empty thing. Their minds would go back to what they saw and heard. And even the stories of the next generation, from those who knew the apostles and what they would have conveyed. Whenever they did this, there would be something of the very presence of Christ, though he was not there physically. And so when we do this in remembrance of him, these are things that we have to remember as we do this. We need to know what we are doing in our doing what we do. But this leads us to that second point about the manner in which we do it, or the how, or we could even say the why. And it's do this in remembrance of me. What is a memorial? A memorial is a solemn recognition of a person or an event at a deep, important, even emotional level. That's a memorial. That's why we're remembering it. It's not something that we're inclined to forget. It's not something small and insignificant. No, it's something valuable. And so we do memorials in recognition of the people. Memorial Day is about soldiers that have fallen in battle in defense for the country and our liberties. 9-11 is a memorial because of the significance of the weight and the importance of that day. These are memorials. The Bible has memorials. One of those were, say, the memorial stones that are perhaps still there in the Jordan River to mark a significant happening in the purpose of God. The Lord's Supper is a memorial meal. It's to be done in remembrance of him. It's designed to commemorate, to memorialize the death of the Son of God for sinners. For us, it's weighty, it's solemn. That is the central focus of all the acts that we do in our taking, in our eating, in our drinking the cup. It's Christ. It's the significant, the all-significant event of his death at the cross. It's the very person in the very activity under which he secured our everlasting salvation. Never happened before, never needs to happen again. We memorialize, Christ has memorialized that event. It was for this that Christ was conceived by the Holy Spirit. This is why he was born. This is the whole point of his living in keeping the law Was to die. Our Savior was born so that He would die. We don't come to the Lord's table. Focal point of which, what's written on the tombstone and the picture within the frame, is that Jesus died for us. We do this in memorial, in remembrance of Him. You remember that the Old Testament, the Passover, was a memorial meal, Exodus 12. Now this day will be a memorial to you, and you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, you are to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. Again, verse 3 of chapter 13. Remember this day when you went out of Egypt. Verse 10, therefore you shall keep this ordinance at its appointed time from year to year. And since Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed, we likewise, but with greater light and fulfillment, remember our redemption in our Redeemer. We remember Christ. He's fulfilled all of it. His memorial meal is done and celebrated as that permanent ordinance, that which is appointed for us throughout our generations. Christ has redeemed us by his blood. That's what the blood of the Passover was pointing to. See it there spattered or smudged on the doorposts of the house. See the angel of God seeing that and passing over it and saying, there are believers and the death is applied to them through the blood. And God has forgiven them and will not hold their sins against them. We've been saved from the avenging wrath of a holy God by the blood of Jesus Christ. Shall we not memorialize this? We think much of, say, maybe the Lincoln Memorial or some other memorial. What do we think of the Lord's Supper? All the banquets in commemoration of someone else. And yet here is the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Memorial Meal. We've been saved by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have escaped death. God has set us free from death and the slavery of our sins. He's leading us to a promised land of light and life. The birthday is well remembered in our culture. We celebrate birthdays. Does it seem odd to celebrate a death day? That's what we're doing with Christ. He's turned the tide such that beginning with his death, all deaths for those who believe in him are days to memorialize. That's what he's begun in his own death. If you have ears to hear it, Ecclesiastes 7 The day of one's death is better than the day of his birth. Try that on in the world. doesn't work. For those who believe, the death day is better than the birthday. The birthday only leads you into the woes and miseries of this life. The death day, for those who believe, is the day where you walk into the lands of life. We want to memorialize. And Jesus instituted it so that we would memorialize his death. It's a great ground of hope and looking to the future with a smile on our face. You who mourn and you grieve and you remember the death of loved ones, That have departed. Do we not have such things as the memorial service? We have a memorial meal. Maybe we give a donation in memory of. Why do we do these things? It's because we love the person. It's because we miss the person. That person was significant to us in all he or she said and did and lived before us. We know that on an earthly common level. Do we know it, and will we enter into it, in the spiritual level, with the Lord's Supper? Our heart and our affections are connected to the person that we memorialize. And so we come this day, and we do this in memory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do this in memory of me. But Lord, I have sins. Yes, therefore do this in remembrance of me. Lord, I may have a poor week of sinning even more than I did this week. I know. And thus you do this in remembrance of me. Lord, what if I die this week? You do this in remembrance of me, that death leads to resurrection for the people of God. This is a vital part of our life. Our hope and our looking to the future is bound up with the promises of the gospel signified to us in the Lord's Supper. Does a spouse desire just the outward doing without the inward Is that how it is best to work in marriage? Just say the word. Don't give the hug. Don't do the gesture. Don't have the smile on the face. Just say, I love you. Don't you want to know the reality, the inward things of that? That's the way it ought to be with Christ and his church. It's not merely words. It's not just actions. It's the beating of the heart. It's the kindling of the affections, those religious affections, Jonathan Edwards often said. Has the Lord made for your heart to pant after him as you come to the Lord's table to do this in remembrance of him? You probably have photos around your house, on the shelf, the table, in your scrapbooks. Here's a photo that's on display today. And when you look at those photos at home, you'll remember. Oh, yes, that was when we went on vacation. What was the place? Yes, remember this happened. Photos and pictures, the visible, are a way to put our memory to the real substance of the thing, the person, the event. Here you have the Lord's Supper. You have bread and the cup, but you have Christ. And when you come this day to the table, you will do this. But will you do this in remembrance of Christ? Lord, give you help to take all these things and to make them yes and amen as we partake together this morning. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we are gripped by the word of God to think that our Savior endured death for us. He came and gave his life as a ransom for our sins, that in the shedding of his blood there's a ground of acceptance, there's forgiveness, there's reconciliation with the Holy God, who outside of Christ would only judge us for our every sin to the fullest extent. But in Christ we have peace. We have assurance of your love. And now here at this table as we come, Lord, confessing our sins, acknowledging our unworthiness, but yet by faith beholding the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who's taken away our sins, who profess and come. Lord, grant us help with our sins and our hope that it would be with Christ today that we see an answer to all these dilemmas of our heart. And so bless the word and bless our feeding on Christ today. In his name we pray. Amen.